This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Purim, Purim, which is Mitzvah Hashem, next, not this Sunday, but next week Sunday. On Purim, everyone's invited for Su'udah's Purim, here in the shul, at 5.15. So whoever doesn't have a Su'udah's Purim, should come on Purim here to the shul at 5.15. Purim never ends. Purim all year. Um, I don't know, whatever, whenever they finish, I don't know, probably like 7 o'clock. Also, Purim Palooza will be in Mitzvah Hashem Thursday night, because we don't have this hall for our Nama, we don't have this hall for Tashad. So Purim Palooza is going to be a week from tomorrow night. And um, whoever was by the Shabbat, so who was by the Shabbat Tone? Not normal. What an unbelievable Shabbat Tone. Absolutely amazing. So... There was a band, there was a band, the Yaakov Chesed band, that opened up much of the Shabbos. So we were so happy with them. Um, we couldn't get Lipo for Thursday night. We're toning him down a bit. But, um, <laughs> but the Yaakov Chesed band, Mr. Shem, we're in the middle of toning them. We think that they'll be here. They're an amazing band, a young band. And um, they'll have a really fantastic time. Live band for two hours, Mr. Shem. We're working on it. It looks like it's going to happen. So it's going to be really beautiful. A what? I can't see that far. What are we saying? What time do you break the fast? Okay. I don't know what this is. Shabbat across America? Is this Shabbos? No, it's March 5th. Make sure March 5th. Shabbos across America. Okay, so we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah, this is for Portland. So the Purim is next, a week from this, a week from this Thursday is our Purim Palooza. It's not Purim yet. It's Motsay Tanis Esther. Okay, so Motsay Tanis Esther, everybody's invited. Food, live music, you can dance, you can put a machitz in front of them. We got everything covered. That's our show. All right, so everybody's invited. Now. Oh, tonight is Cleveland's first hookup. Hello, Cleveland. California, the five towns, Kansas City, I don't know if the Kansas City's on anymore, uh, maybe if Kansas City's on, uh, Lakewood, Cleveland, how's everybody in Cleveland, hope you're doing good, Mr. Shimmer, Walsh, and Rebbe Matt's going to be out there soon, oh, Shabbaton balances, he's doing that, okay, Shabbaton, Rebbe Matt's balances, please play in the back, now you took your keys home. We understand you want to sneak back in the hotel and have the keys, but we need the keys back because they charge us $25 a key. 64 keys are missing, which means that for no reason it costs Ornava $1,600. That's pure good money that's just thrown out. They charge us $1,600. So, not a big deal. They said whenever we give back the keys, they give back $25 per key, not per room, per key. So we need that money back. All right, I would like to read before we start tonight, even though it's very late, I'd like to read a very beautiful um, email that I got today about the Shabbaton. I don't know who wrote it. Whoever you are, I thank you very much. And you have a very deep insight into life. It's going to take me two minutes. It's a little long. I know I lose you when I start reading something. So I'll just try to focus. And she says the following. What lies behind you and what lies before you are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. And the reason I'm reading this is because this week is Pasha's Truma, and in Pasha's Truma it says, Make me a place to dwell, make me a place on Mingdash that I could dwell within you. So I think it's very, very interesting that she says, 
What lies behind you, ever heard my share? Get out of what lies behind you. Don't be an Ebed for all, forever. What lies before you are nothing compared to what lies within us. And she says the following, life, a journey, if you're in the room, I just, you wrote beautifully, so that's why I'm reading it. Life, a journey in the unknown, a voyage into the world that is so unfamiliar to secure a sheltered unborn baby in the womb of its mother, protected from all trials and challenges that the world and life brings. Life is amazed when you come to the world without a compass. The world we live in today is a very confusing place for any person to survive, especially without direction. In today's sophisticated technological world, we have a GPS for everything. We have sports coaches, we have trainers, weather advisory. We spend so much money on technological gadgets and hire so many personal coaches to help us survive and enjoy the materialistic world while totally forgetting about our lives and truly limited and all the material things we focus on really don't matter. I'm getting to the main point. Really don't matter in the long run. Yet, we spend so little time focusing on the most important part of us that truly needs a compass not to get lost. Our souls. Our essence of who we truly are get lost in the confusing world because we are so busy pursuing the short-lived instant gratifications of life. How silly we are after all when we reach the end of our lives. We all want to know what we that we mattered, that we made a difference, that we left a good mark to, rem- to be remembered by. Well, we all have a story. Every person you see has a story. Every girl you meet on the train, on the street, anywhere has a heartache. Every person has a series of books that could ri- they could write. However, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter that we have been through it. It matters what we have become in spite of it. So, like, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but she writes that her main point, what she's writing is that the most important thing in life is our souls, is the travel of our souls. And she writes that Ornava, which I appreciate very much, I'm not doing an advertisement, that Ornava is the GPS. Ornava is a place you can come and you have Rabbeim and teachers who tell you which directions to go in and, and how to map out your life. And she writes how beautiful, maybe we'll make copies and, and we'll send them out to the girls, how beautiful the Shabbaton was and how it gave everybody a reason and a place to go and a place to focus and change you know, everybody's life. It didn't matter who you were, where you came from. I always say it doesn't matter where you come from, right? It matters where you're going. And imagine where you end up. We all come from a different place, but we all need to end up in the right place. And then Aden, Mashiach, whatever, whatever Hashem, Hashem has in store. Okay, so this week's parsha is Pasha's Truma. Now, Pasha's Truma, there's a, a very good question that's asked, well, all questions are good. Pasha's Truma says like this, Dabu B'nai Yisrael, Yikuli Truma. Talk to B'nai Yisrael and take for me a Truma. What is a Truma in English? A portion. Give me something, right? From every person who is donating their heart, take my take a truma. So the question is, it already said in the Pasuk, it already said, talk to B'nai Yisrael and take a truma. Why does it have to say again, whoever donated their heart, they should give uh, they should give my truma. It's, it's, it's saying it twice. So we learn from here, girls, we learn from here that the truma that Hashem wants, everybody, the truma that Hashem really wants is your heart. That's what He wants. And later on, four psukim later, it says, Make for me a Beit HaMikdash, and I'm gonna, I want to dwell in you. Why does it say B'Saycham? It should say B'Saychay. Not B'Saycham amongst you, right? But it should say B'Saychay. So, in the Beit HaMikdash. Mitzaycham means that Hashem wants to dwell in each and one, every single girl in this room. God wants to dwell in each one of us. How does God dwell in each one of us? So that's what the Pasuk says, Asher Yidvena Libay, that your heart is donated to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So I want to tell you a story 
Very, very beautiful story. And the story is about a couple that were very, very, very poor. They had no money. And they were the poorest people in the town. And one day, the man wasn't exactly, he was a peasant. He wasn't exactly very brilliant. And he wasn't a, he wasn't a tamachacham. So one Friday night, he decided that he's going to go to shul. So he comes to shul. And the rabbi is giving a speech on Pasha's Truma, on this week's Pasha. And this week's Pasha talks about the Shulchan. Shulchan was a table, and on this table were chalas, and these chalas were, were baked from Friday to Friday. So when they took the chalas off the, off the table, it was still warm. It was a miracle. It's brought down. It was a miracle. And the miracle was that the chalas stayed warm. It stayed warm from week to week. So the rabbi is getting up and he's talking about Pasha's Truma, how they had the shulchan, and on the shulchan there was bread, and the bread stayed warm. And this poor man is extremely impressed that they had a miracle in the base. I'm being dish like this. So he goes home and he tells his wife, listen, today, in our generation, we don't have a base in Mikdash, and we don't have a shulchan. So maybe the two of us should bake chalice every Thursday night, like they used to do in the base on Midrash, and we'll give them to Hashem, what we know. Hashem doesn't eat chalice, but he, was a pe- he wasn't so brilliant. So he figured, since there's no base on Midrash anymore, we can do this. So he goes home, his wife's like, great idea, we'll take the little flour that we have, and we'll bake 12 little chalice, because on the shulchan, there were 12 breads. We're going to bake 12 little chalice. So he goes ahead, and he bakes, it's a beautiful story. He goes ahead and he bakes these 12 little chalas. And now, they want to give it to Hashem. What do you do? Throw it out the window? How do you give it to God? But he said, I have a brilliant idea. Let's go to shul. I'll go to shul tonight. And I'll stick the 12, <laughs> the 12 rolls. I'll stick in the Orna Kodesh where the Torah is. And that way, Hashem will get them. Okay. It's a joke if you think about it. Like, what, you're going to put bread in the, in the Orna Kodesh? Like, what, what's going to happen, Right. So he goes ahead with all his love and caring. You can imagine that the two of them are, are baking these chalas at home. They're baking it for Hashem, right? They're, they're, they're all excited, and they feel like they're the kahanim. They're very excited about this. So he goes ahead and he takes these 12 rolls, and he puts it in the Arna Kodesh. Next morning, the Gabai, you know, the Shamis, opens up the shul. He smells chala in the shul. Stop searching looking around the whole shul, and, 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 and he can't find it. He would never guess that the challah is in the Arnagaydish. So he, he looks and he looks and he looks and he's following the smell. The smell seems to be coming out of the Arnagaydish. So he opens up the Arnagaydish. And lo and behold, it's 12 challahs in the Arnagaydish. He says, oh my goodness, some rich guy is putting 12 challahs, warm challahs, like we bake here every Thursday night, right? Putting warm challahs in the Arnagaydish for the poor people. So he takes the chalas out, puts them into a bag, and distributes it to people in town that he knew need chalas. This goes on, girls, for a year. This old man and his wife, every Thursday night, they bake chalas, and he goes to the shul, and he hides them in the Arana Kodesh, and the next morning the Shabbos goes, and he gives it out. And if you can't, you, you can't even imagine in this room... This guy comes home, and he, every Friday, right, he would come in the morning to see if God ate their chalos. 
And he would come Friday, like actually not in the morning, he would come like 11, 12 o'clock. He would come 11, 12 o'clock, and the chalice would be gone. And he'd come home and tell his wife, and they would start dancing on the table. They are the new base of Mikdash. They are the ones who are taking care of Hashem, that he has what to eat on Shabbos. Okay. There's a story, it's written down. It's a story that happened in the times of the Ariza. It's written down in, in, in the book by the Ariza. Okay. One, third, one Friday day, so this guy comes, and he comes to see if the chalas are in the, in the, if they're still in the Arna Kodesh, and the rabbi happens to be there. The rabbi happens to be there. So he goes running to Arna Kodesh, and the rabbi's like, what are you doing? What are you doing by the, what are you doing by the Arna Kodesh? He's trying to still, steal the Sefer Torah? What are you doing? She goes, no, Rabbi, you know, you have to promise me you're not going to tell anybody. So the rabbi goes, of course I won't tell anyone. What are you doing? You know, I'm, I'm sitting there. I see you opening on a kodesh, looking around. You're trying to steal the Sefer Torah. Like, I'm very upset. What are you doing? He says, no, Rabbi, but you really have to promise you won't tell anyone. The rabbi says, no, I promise you I won't tell anyone. He says, well, I came to one of your speeches, and you said that in the olden days, in the base on Migdash, you used to, they used to bring 12 breads for God. Guess what? Me and my wife, now we know that there's no Beis HaMikdash, so me and my wife, every Thursday night, we bake 12 chalas, and don't tell anyone, we put it in the Arna Kodesh, and every Friday afternoon I come to check, and Hashem takes it every Friday afternoon. So the rabbi's like some of the girls in this room, so he started to laugh. He said, you idiot, you fool, you think Hashem needs your bread? You think Hashem is eating your bread. Hashem is not eating your bread. And Hashem doesn't need your bread. The Shamis is taking your bread every Friday. He's taking some of it home for himself. And some of it he's giving out to everyone else. Hashem doesn't eat bread and Hashem doesn't need your bread. That's the story how it's written. Shabbos morning, the Arizal wakes up. He lived in the same town as this whole story happened. Shabbos morning, the Arizal wakes up. And he goes to this rabbi. And he says the following. He says, Rabbi, today, prepare yourself, for today you will die. It's a famous story. He tells the rabbi, today you will die. He says, what are you talking about? He says, you know that man that came on Friday that you made fun of? He will never bake chalas for Hashem again. And I want you to know that Rizal, only that Rizal could say this. That Rizal said... I want you to know that from the time that the base of Midrash was destroyed, Hashem never had enjoyment until these two people started baking these chalas for him. And therefore, you took this enjoyment away from God, and your punishment is that this Shabbos, you will die. And the Sefer brings down that this rabbi died that day. And that's what the Pasuk is telling us. And I think that's very, very important. That it's not the Shulchan, and it's not the Mishkan, and it's not the Kayin. But that the truma that a person has to give to God is themselves. So even though these, these two people were not Kayhanim, they were peasants, they didn't know what they were doing, but they did it with purity of heart. They did it purely for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And to Hashem, the Reach Nichoach, the beautiful smell that comes from a carbon, it comes from the person's heart. It comes from doing it with full feelings. Purim women 
They have to do with Purim with the feeling. I talk about this every year. I was, I was in a store tonight, and I was listening to them crutching and critchering because some lady walked in, and I guess she's making shlachmanos, and, they, and she needed 48 cappuccino, these little mocha cappuccino bottles, whatever it is, and it was $1.59 each, and she was so upset. She was so upset. $1.59 times 48, it's too much money, it's too much that. Whatever you do, whatever you do with the shlachmanos, whatever you do, it's with your full heart. Maybe bake a cake. The old days used to make the food. You didn't buy the food, you know? You walk in and give me $10, $10 shlachmanos. Hashem wants to see that the shlachmanos that we all make, that we all do, is done with our full hearts. And, and I think that's maybe why Truma comes before Purim. We should know that Purim has to be done with your full heart. Don't crutch and critcher. Ah, there's too much food in my house, and, 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 and how am I going to clean this up? Purim has to be a shayiz vanalivo. Purim has to be with your full heart. Because that's how you build. Ladies, the way you build a Mishkan that Hashem will be in you, you got to give them your heart, like these people. They Wataka didn't do anything. There was no big mitzvah. What they did it was foolish, what they did. But what they did, they did with their full heart. And that's what really counts. Okay. So that's on, that's on Pasha's Chuma. And I'd like to talk a little bit about Purim, Purim itself. We have to leave a little early tonight, so it's going to be a short cheer. But it'll be to the point. So, I want to talk about Purim for a couple of minutes. So, we, I spoke about a Shabbaton. I can't repeat that because a lot of girls were here about the rose and the whole story, the, 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 the card that wasn't signed, which is a beautiful share. And uh, I guess maybe, I don't know, because it's Shabbos, we didn't tape it. So, I don't know when you're going to hear it. Maybe I'll say it a little bit next week because the girls on the, on the Shabbaton will forget a little bit. <laughs> forget a little bit what I said. But I, I, I don't want to tell that. But I don't want to a little bit of a, of a, of a deep thought about Purim. So, it says, call up Yad, that anyone who puts their hand out on Purim, right, you have to give. That's what it says. And anything you ask for on Purim, you will get. The question is why? Why is Purim more than Sukkot or Yom Kippur or or Pesach? Why why does it why does it rate higher? So it's a little bit Kabbalistic what I'm going to say right now. Some of you like it, some of you don't, but to understand a little bit what happened on Purim. So Aliyahu Anavi met Mordechai. And Mordechai asked Eliyahu Anavi, what's the, what's the deal with this Gezeira? What's the deal with this thing that, you know, that Haman signed to destroy, wipe out every Jew from a little child to a parent? What, what does Hashem say about it? So for the first time, girls, in the history of the Jewish nation, God, Eliyahu said that God signed the decree. We always had Hashem to go to, right? Nazis, uh, whatever we went through, right? We we damned Hashem. We had someone to go to. We damned Hashem. But on Purim, we couldn't damned Hashem. Because on Purim, Eliyahu said that the one who signed it was God. Which meant that God, like the governor who signed yesterday the death warrant, right? God signed that the Jews have to die. So who are you going to go to? The only one that can save the Jewish nation, girls, is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So if he signed the paper that we're going to die, where are we going? Who's going to help us? So Purim, the first time in the history of the Jews, the Jews had no one to go to. Mordechai, we looked at, we looked at Mordechai as a traitor. Mordechai went ahead because he made he wouldn't bow down to Haman. He cooked up the whole system, and that's why Haman decided to wipe us out. Esther, 
We thought Esther was going to save us. Esther is one, you know, a Jewish person in the Congress, you know, in the Senate. Esther went ahead and invited Haman to a party. When the Jews saw that Esther went ahead and invited Haman to a party, two parties, they said, she's a traitor. Haman's the enemy. She's inviting him to a party. So Esther couldn't help us. Mordechai couldn't help us. Hashem already signed a death warrant. Where do you go? What do you do? So, in the end, it didn't matter. We said it doesn't matter. Even if Hashem signed the death warrant, we have no one to help us. Hashem is our husband. Hashem echad u'shmo echad. God is the only one. And therefore, even though He signed our death warrant, we're still going to go to Him. We're not going to give up on His love. It was an understanding, a much understanding of God's love for us. To understand that even though God signed the warrant, but He was so close to each other that even though He signed the warrant... If we dive into him enough, if we do tshuva enough, he's going to rip up that zero. And that's a very deep understanding. Understanding that God will listen to you and rip up Hitler's zero. So that's a level. That we're going to dive into Hashem. He's going to rip up the Iranians' zero of hitting us with a nuclear bomb. <coughs> so that we understand. But that he would rip up his own zero. That we didn't give up. Poor him, we didn't give up. God was against us. Mordecai was against us. Esther was against us. The Persians were against us. Haman, Achir. The whole world was against us. And there was nowhere to go. We still went to Hashem. That Hashem never experienced before. And that we never experienced before. And therefore, on Purim, it's considered like we were makabal the Torah, the Ahavu. We accepted the Torah with a lot of love. Now, the Kabbalistic part of this is that, that, that once God signed, once God signed that we were to die, we die. But when God signs something, so in God's world, Hoya Hoya year is one. What happened, what will happen, and what did happen is all one. And therefore, it's considered like we had Chiesa Mason on Purim. Because once Hashem signed it, we were considered like we were dead. Now, when He ripped it up, we got back our life. So we were dead and we got back our life. So it was sort of like Chiesa Mason. So we became alive, we became new. That also never happened to us, even though a little bit on, on the Sarah Sadibras, but on a different level. So the Arizal said that every Purim, it's like the nation became new, because every Purim is a remembrance, not remembrance, it's actually happening that day that Akush Bokhu signed us dead and then gave us life. So Purim today, where like a baby is born, when a baby's born, right, you give the baby whatever it wants. Therefore, in Kabbalah, we learn that in Purim, whatever you ask Hashem for, He gives you, because you're His baby. It's a different level. You, you, on Purim, you become his baby. Because you were dead, and now you were born. So you're a little teeny baby. A little teeny baby you have to take care of. It can't take care of itself. Therefore, Kabbalistically, whatever a girl wants to share, whatever you need on Purim, is Purim morning, you should get up a seek, and it brings down. And you should dial in a seek, and you should ask Hashem whatever you want. Because every Jew on Purim is considered like he's a baby. That's big. Now that ties into something that I've spoken about before, but I spoke about it a long time ago. And we'll wrap, we'll wrap up with this, which is also very, very, very deep. So there's a mitzvah in Shulchan Aruch to say, I'm for him to drink enough to say, Baruch Haman and Aruch Mordechai. Blessed is Haman and cursed is Mordechai. How does anyone in this room understand that? If I were to tell you today, I want everyone to get up and bless Hitler, Yamach Shemo. Bless him, give him a bracha. And curse, Moshe Feinstein. You would never come back to Arnava. You'd call me an Afikiris. 
And Rawalstein flipped his doodle. There's something wrong with him. And I'm never going to talk to him again. Curse. Curse for Moshe Feinstein and bless Hitler, Yamak Shemai. But every Purim girls, in Shulchan Aruch it says, Haman was just as bad as Hitler. Haman wanted to destroy every Jew. It said that we should drink enough that you should get to the point that you should say, blessed is Haman, cursed is Mordechai. How does anyone in this room understand this commandment? I could understand. Tell me to bless Mordechai on Purim and curse Haman. So there's an Arizal. It's very deep. At the end of at the end of the Megillah, it says that that Mordechai was accepted by Roy Roy most of his constituents. So the the Mefarshim asked, "What do you mean most?" He just saved everybody. He said, "No, there's a part of there was a part of the Sanhedrin that was against him." So one of the reasons is because he joined the government and he was he, he was a rabbi, he shouldn't have joined the government. But this is a totally different reason that Rizal says. And he says the following. He says that this Gezerah of Purim was supposed to destroy the whole Jewish nation. Why? Because we see it says that the Gezerah was written, right? Now there's my famous shot. If, if the Gezerah is written in blood, right? So, so, so Mordechai, when Elio told him, let me go back to that, to that measure for a minute. When Eliyahu told him that Hashem signed the Gezerah, the edict, right? So, so Mordechai asked Eliyahu, did he sign it in a signature of blood? Or did he sign it in a signature of ink, of black ink? So Eliyahu Novi said, I don't know. Because if it's signed in blood, it cannot change. Moshe Rabbeinu's Gezerah, that he couldn't go into Eretz Yisrael, was signed in blood. If it's signed in Dayai, which is ink, it can be changed. So he asked, what if I said, listen, what am I wasting my time? If it's signed in blood, I'm, I'm wasting my time. If it's signed in ink, so the other said, I don't know. Go look how it's written. If you look in the Megillah, it says that Haman wrote, Le'avdom, to destroy them. And when Mordechai saw what Haman wrote, Le'avdom, to destroy them, he began to jump and dance in the street and sing. So the Jews said, what are you singing about? He says, because if you look in the Megillah, it says he wrote that every Jew should be La'avdam to destroy them. La'avdam, if you take the word and split it in half, spells lo-badam. La'avdam spells lo-badam. It was not, Haman wrote with his own hands, La'avdam, lo-badam. The Gzeirah was not written in blood. So the minute Barakai saw that the Gzeirah was not written in blood, he said that we should break the Gzeirah. Then we can break the Zerah because it's written in ink. Now, the question that's asked, this is all Kabbalistic, but it has a lot to do with Purim. The question is asked, what do you mean when God writes, when God signs in ink, it doesn't mean it's going to happen? It's a, it's a forgery? You have to sign in blood? It sounds very cool, but like, if he signs his name in ink, he can break it? So, if you should think it says that since in the other world, what was, what is, and what will be, is all the same moment. So what Mordechai, what Mordechai was asking Allah Nabi is, the signature that Hashem on the Xer is, is there blood? In other words, if there's blood, means that the Jews were wiped out, and therefore the signature, because everything happens in a moment, therefore the signature is written in blood. If at the end of the Xer gets broken, then there's no blood, then it's ink. So he was asking him, is there blood? Did the Jews die already? Are they dead? Even though it didn't happen yet in the time, because time in the next world isn't. Or is it an ink? And when he said it's an ink, he said, "Oh, so we're going to break this Gezerah. Now we got to go. And, now we got to go. We got to go and break it." So, so 
it's brought down that really. Oops, sorry. Uh, where'd it go? I don't see it. Let me get it from Nancy, you don't. So it's. I'll leave it here. So it's written. So it's written, very interesting, that really the Jews are supposed to be destroyed on Purim. And had we been destroyed on Purim, Mashiach would have come. Really, Mashiach was supposed to come on Purim. And had Mordechai and Esther allowed Haman's Zera to come to fruition, there would have been no Holocaust. There would have been no Spanish Inquisition. There would be no Iranians. There would be no wars. It would have happened then. We would have all been killed. We would have all been destroyed. And then Mashiach would have come and the new world would have started. But Mordechai was the leader of Klai And the leader of Klai is not supposed to learn into if Mashiach... you got to say, our job is to save another Jew. That's our job. So Mordechai went against some of the... Sanhedrin said, let it happen. It's enough already. Let the Jews all die. The babies and the women and the men. Let it happen. And let Mashiach come. Let it happen. And Mordechai said, how can I let it happen? I'm the leader of Klaistro. My job is to save Klaistro. You want to make Cheshbonis, Mashiach, not Mashiach. My job is to save Klaistro. And therefore, he did not let Mashiach come. And he saved Klaistro. He said, Mashiach will come when he's supposed to come. And he saved Klaistro. Now, in our real world, where it's our job to save each other, so it's Baruch Mordechai, he saved us. And it's Ara Haman. Haman's cursed for what he tried to do to destroy us. But if you drink enough wine that takes you out of your physical body and you're drunk and you're in the spiritual world, then you realize that there is a reason to bench Haman. Because as bad as Haman did, and as, even though he had the most evil force, what he wanted to do, but Haman would have brought Mashiach and Mordechai stopped Mashiach from coming. But that you can only say when you're in the spiritual world, because in the physical world, you have to save another Jew. So therefore, there's a mitzvah on Purim to drink enough wine to understand that there's a little bracha in what Haman tried to do, and there's a little klala in what Mordechai. Now, people drink. They really Many of them, unfortunately, say you shouldn't drink. You should drink enough to make you fall asleep. If you fall asleep, then you don't know the difference between Haman and Mordechai. You're not supposed to get drunk that you're throwing up all over everybody's floor. But you're supposed to drink enough that you don't know the difference. And what does that mean? That you fall asleep. That's what that reads out. I, I can't really get into it tonight that much. It's, maybe next week we'll talk a little more. It's very deep. It's like, what are you talking about? Wallace? I'm like, like, Mordechai saved us. He shouldn't have saved us. It's a, little, it's a little hard to understand. But there's another answer which I like very much. And the answer is very beautiful. The bottom line is that Haman, because of the trouble that Haman, and this, this I want to end my shit because this is a very important thought, that the bottom line is that Haman caused us to do tshuva. Haman caused us to be Makabal Hashem Ba'ahava. So even though he, do, that wasn't his idea. His idea was to kill us and destroy us. But even though he had the worst idea in the world, he caused Klaishol to get close to Hashem by his evil thoughts. And therefore, you got to give Haman a shtickle bracha. You got to say Baruch Haman when you're drunk, because even though he had the wrong idea, the mighty he pushed us together. Because of what he did, we were Makabal Hashem, we damaged Hashem. And we got so close to Hashem. And he, he wouldn't have started up with us. We were busy partying. We were busy going to Achashverosh's party and having a good time. Because Haman came along, the assimilation stopped. Haman said it became, we became one nation because when you're all hated, when you're hated, you become one. So there is a reason to be Baruch Marachai. So I, what I would like to end, 
And the thought I'd like to end with is, there's a reason to bench, to give a bracha to Hashem, the bad things that a person goes through and the pain that a person goes through. Because of that pain that a person goes through, brings them closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Right? So you have to understand that if you were able to be drunk and you were able to get out of the physical world, you would understand that there's so many things in life that look like Haman, right? Look like they want to destroy you and it's all bad, but that that pain drove you to grow and drove you to be able, which I've been speaking about for the last few weeks, drove you to be able to help other people. So in every Haman, even though the one that's causing you the pain is not thinking they're trying to help you, they're trying to hurt you. But in that person's pain comes growth, exercising the, the heavier the weight, the bigger the muscles. So at the end of the whole Megillah, Esther, Haman deserves, as bad as he was, a, a shtickle bracha. A shtickle bracha, a little bit of a bracha, because he caused you, caused Kleistrol to gain and to grow. And many times you'll see that the stuff that people are going through causes them to grow, causes them to come out of the situation a bigger and better person. You hear it all the time. That's the Baruch Haman. You can't say that when you're not drunk because the person hurt me. But if you get into the total spiritual world, you'll understand that sometimes the hardships that a person goes through in life, they push you in a direction which makes you much stronger and, and much better. And that's what happened on Purim. It looked very bad as it looks right now for Klai It looks very bad, the Iranians and all the situations that Klai is going through and all the diseases and everything. But without this pain, there's no baby. Without this pain, there's no Mashiach. And that's why it's called the pangs of pregnancy, the, the pangs of pregnancy, the, 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 the times of Mashiach, because the, without the woman's pain, she can't push the baby out. She has to know that she's having contractions. If you don't know you have contractions, you're walking around, you're not pushing the baby out. So the contraction and the pain, and you're screaming out, and the doctor's screaming push, that's what brings the baby out. So there's a bracha in pain. Pain is a signal to tell you that something's wrong or something's needed, and, and, you need, and that's what happened on Purim. And what did Haman push us, these pangs? Push us right into God's arms, right into God's hands. As you know, I spoke on Shabbos about the roses, the dozen roses that we got without a signature. This is the only yontif where Hashem is not mentioned. By Mitzrayim it says, Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim, by the Matan Torah, Hashem gave us the Torah. If you look through... The whole book of Esther doesn't say Hashem's name. So it's a what I call the dozen roses. He gave us a dozen roses, but he didn't sign the card. It doesn't say his name. He gave us a Purim, but it didn't sign the card. And only the husband and wife that get along with each other know when you get a card that's not signed, that it's coming from your husband. Because if you have a bunch of boyfriends, then you're scared to call your husband and tell him that you got roses because he's thinking, if he, if he didn't send it, I'm dead. I'm in big trouble. So it's just the opposite. So the only one that calls her husband when she gets a dozen roses with the card not signed is the woman who's, who's true to her husband. So this yontif is the most amazing yontif for him because Hashem didn't sign the card, but we knew. We came to Hashem. And not only that, now he didn't sign the card, but maybe he signed the death warrant. But we knew. We came to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and we said, we know who sent us these roses. You did. And that love we never had before because all the other love was Hashem said, I took you out of Mitzvah. I gave you the Torah. I did this, I did this. By, by here, he didn't say anything. He never said he did anything. And we knew it was him, and we dominated to him. That shows our true love, and that's why we sing Shoshana Yaakov. Shoshana is a rose. Shoshana Yaakov, the rose of Yaakov. We know who gave us that rose, even though it wasn't signed. And that's the true, true, true beauty of Purim.
that we celebrate a yantif, that we say, we know who sent us this present, even though it doesn't have a signature. And Hashem says, wow, you didn't think Ahasuerosh saved you, or, or Esther saved you, or Mordechai saved you? You think I saved you? You know that I saved you? That's amazing. And that, that shows true love. And therefore, in Perek Vav, in the Megillah Esther, one of my boys in my school, not religious boy, told this to me 20 years ago when I was teaching. And I said that every time it says Hamelach, not Hamelach Hashverosh, but Hamelach, it's Hashem's name, it means Hashem. So in the sixth parak, it starts off, Nadadushnas Hamelach, the king could not sleep. In the Zayar, it says, what king could not sleep? God could not sleep. The king in that, that's when, everyone says that that parak, parak Vav, is when the Geula, when the redemption started. Until then, we were in big trouble. That night, when the king could not sleep, when everything turned, there's a lot of Kabbalah on this, on that night, right? But the simple word is that Hashem is the Melech, he saw the Jews going down, he couldn't sleep. Whatever that means, he couldn't rest. So what did he do? He said, open up the Sefer Zechoinus, right? The, we thought it was Akashverus, but here it's talking about Hashem. And we opened up the Sefer Zechoinus, and he said, what did Mordechai do good for me? Hashem looked at all the Zechoinus, Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, everything that the Jews, that the Jews did well, and he said, no, how are they rewarding? Haman is the Satan. Mordechai is the Eden. So the Satan had to put us on a horse, on the king's horse, Hashem's horse, and take us through the world and say, this is what happens to the people. This is what happens to the Jews. This is what happens to the people who serve the king. The Satan, who is Haman, had to go around the whole world and say, this is what happens to Hashem's children. That's what, that's what Purim is all about. Now in that parak, Vav, you will find the word Hamelech 26 times. Count it. The word Hamelech in Perik Vav is mentioned 26 times. Yudke Vavke. The, the, the number of Yudke Vavke. Because in Perik Vav, the Yudke Vavke, the Rachamim, Klaishol Davin, that we'll learn next week about how the children were learning, and the Rachamim of Hashem, Yudke Vavke, Hashem could not sleep, Hashem could not accept that this was going to happen to his children, even though he signed it. Even though he signed the death warrant, he said, I can't, I can't let this happen. It's my only child. I can't lose my only child. I don't have any other children. So he couldn't sleep, so he said... So the Satan opened up the book. I want to see what the Jews did. And when he opened up the book, he said, No, how do we ever reward them? Yavram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, for everything that they did. You schlep them around and you tell everybody, This is what happens to the, to the loved one of the kings. May Hashem, once again, at the beginning of Moshiach, which is coming, which is here, when Moshiach comes, may Hashem again take the Satan before he kills him in the Macha Mothers and make him lead Klai Yisrael on a horse, on the king's horse, so to say, around the world. And tell all the Goyim that hate us and want to destroy us, tell them all, this is what happens to the one that the king loves. This is what happens. He will be saved. And then we don't got to drink. It will be Baruch Marachai and it will be Arohaman. Have a good week. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.